Our theme this year is based on the principle that we believe this book is an infallible guide to life and a guide to death. We believe it is written by the Holy Spirit of the living God and it has the answers that we need for this life. So we're attempting this year to learn some about the book so that we can live by the book. We believe, as the Christians in Thessalonica did, that this is not the word of men. We believe it is the actual word of God, that it can work in our lives if we allow it to. The first topic that we selected for this year is living eternally by the book. And we want to talk about eternal life first because obviously that's much more important than our life here on earth. Our life here on earth will last 70 or 80 years perhaps or quite a few here a little bit longer than that. Uh, but that's nothing compared to eternity. Uh, living eternally by the book is our first topic, and that's what we want to understand. A few moments ago, most of us sang joyfully and from our hearts when we've been there 10,000 years. There are some here that can't sing that, can't sing that with, with meaning, with, with truth, with, with the understanding that they are sure that they're going to be in heaven. And that's who this series is for. We want to make sure that we know how to live eternally in heaven. Our plan for all this year actually begins with step one is to know one part of the book. We're not going to try to know the whole book at once or read great quantities of it. Uh, we're just going to learn one little part of it at a time. And that's what we've done in this series. We're on our fourth lesson. In our first one, we learned this part, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We learned a lot about that verse. We, we know it better now. We know that it teaches there is a, uh, a chance of perishing eternally, and there is a chance of living eternally. We know that God loved the world so much that he gave and that his son sacrificed his life for us. And we talked about that whole story of the death of Jesus. And hopefully we know that part of the book now. We know that the believing part is not about just believing that Jesus existed. It's not just about believing uh, the things, stories about Jesus. It's about believing in him. That implies a trust a willingness to do whatever he asks. The second week, we talked about Acts 3.19, a little shorter verse, but an important one. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Repentance is a huge part of this uh, living eternally. And hopefully we know this verse a lot better now. And we understand much better what repentance is. We understand it's different for everyone. Uh, everybody starts at a different spot, and repentance involves a, a changing of the mind. Last week, we talked about Matthew 10:32. Whoever confesses me, Jesus said, before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. And we learned, we know now what confession means. It means an agreement with Jesus. If we confess Jesus, we agree that he is the Christ, the Son of God, the Lord. And if we make that confession, both initially and throughout our lives, uh, he will agree that we are his before his Father who is in heaven. 
So that's where we've been. Today, uh, we want to look at Mark 16, 16. I guess it's our shortest verse so far, but there's a lot in it. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Knowing our verse is a little bit easier on this because there's not much to it. But it's, in one sense, harder because you can hear a whole lot of explanations about what this verse means. It's hard for me to believe. As short as it is, and as easy as it is, and as clear as it is, it's really hard to believe that you could hear very many explanations about it, but you can. Words of men are that way. Words of men are confusing. They... They don't agree. They uh, go different directions. A man can take a very simple verse like this one. It's unambiguous. It's crystal clear. Well, there's eight words in it. Men can take that and create all kinds of confusion and make different conclusions and bring up weird questions. And you can get... Off track pretty easy if you listen to the word of men. The actual word of God will not confuse you. The actual word of God is very clear. You read enough theology books, you listen to enough TV preachers, you can look at this verse and be told that baptism's not essential. If you look at the word of God, if you just read these eight words, you can understand. Any second grader in here can understand. Belief and baptism comes before salvation. Whoever believed, have you noticed how many of our verses have whoever in them? Uh, a lot of that in this plan of salvation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Very easy to pick up the actual word of God, look at the facts, answer some questions. Let's start with the facts. Fact number one, the book teaches that baptism is essential to salvation. The book teaches that. And I put a number of verses. I didn't put nearly all the verses that I could have in your handout, but I put a number of them. You just read through those and you will see the teaching of the Bible. Once again, crystal clear. Acts 2.38, which was already read for you. Repent and be baptized. So that your sins will be forgiven. Doesn't get any clearer than that. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, Peter went on and promised. Colossians 2 verse 12 says, In baptism you were buried with him and raised with him through your faith in the power of God. If you're buried with Christ, if you're raised with Christ... When, did it when does it happen, Colossians 2.12 says? In baptism is where that happens. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 5, Paul asks, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? If somebody tells you, I'm in Christ Jesus, how did you get there? That you, they may tell you all kinds of things. Paul says you get there by being baptized into him. That's the teaching of the book. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27, Paul once again said, All of you who were united with Christ in baptism 
have been clothed with Christ. Somebody tells you they are united with Christ or they're clothed with Christ. The Bible says there's only one way that can happen. In baptism. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13, Paul said, For we are all baptized by one spirit into one body. Somebody tells you they're in the body of Christ. The book says there's only one way to get there. Be baptized into one body. Fact number two, the Bible not only teaches that baptism is essential to salvation. The book shows that baptism is essential. The book shows that baptism was part of every case of salvation in the book. You can read from front to back, look for anybody that was saved by God, look for anybody, and you'll find baptism in that story. Acts chapter 2, the passage that was just read for you. Verses 37 through 41, and we're not going to look at all these in detail. You go home and read them if you don't understand this fact. The Jews on Pentecost. Understand, not all of them believed who Jesus was. Well, some of them did, but not all of them by a long shot. Because what Peter told them that day, that verse that was read for you, he said, you need to know this. You need to know this assuredly. You better be sure of this. Jesus is both Lord and Christ. Now, what did we talk about on confession, about believing in him? That's the point. And Peter told the crowd there, he said, you better be sure of this. He is Lord and Christ. And once they understood that, some of them hadn't believed that before. Once they understood that, as proved by his resurrection and everything else, all the evidences they had seen. Once they believed that, you know what they did? They said, what do we do? Well, what do we do now? If he is Lord in Christ. Since we believe that now, what do we do? And Peter answered, you need to repent. You need to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Acts chapter 8, the Samaritans baptized. Acts chapter 8, verse 13, Simon the sorcerer, they're in the same town, baptized. Acts chapter 8, the story of the Ethiopian, the treasurer from Ethiopia that had come up for the Passover. He believed in God, but he didn't know about Jesus. In fact, he was reading an Old Testament scripture about the Messiah, and he said to Philip, he said, I don't understand this. Who is the Messiah? What's this about? And I don't know how long Philip talked to him. The Bible doesn't give us the whole conversation, but he explained who Jesus was. He explained he is the Lord in Christ. And at the end of all the things Philip explained to him, what did the Ethiopian say? He said, there's some water. Can I be baptized? Evidently, Philip explained that to him. And Philip said, well, yes. Yeah, if you believe. If you're ready to repent, if you're ready to confess, he explained all that to him, I'm sure. And they went down into the water. They stopped the chariot, got out, went down into the water, came up. Ethiopian went on his way rejoicing. That's the way it happens in the New Testament. Baptism is every case. Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapter 22, two accounts of the same story. Saul of Tarsus, baptized. 
Acts chapter 10, Cornelius and his household, a God-fearing man. But he didn't know about Jesus. He was a Gentile. But he knew about the God of the Israelites, and he wanted to be saved by that God. Preacher went to his house. He was baptized. Acts chapter 16, Lydia, the businesswoman, the seller of purple. Acts chapter 16, the jailer in Philippi, a pagan, probably didn't know anything about God or Jesus. But after he saw the example of the disciples and, and understood what was going on, he said, well, what do I need to do? They took him home and baptized him. Acts chapter 18, Crispus and a number of other Corinthians. Acts chapter 19, the Ephesians. Read all the stories of conversion. Read everybody that was saved in the New Testament. You'll notice baptism in all those stories. You'll notice it doesn't matter where they started because they all started in different places. Doesn't matter where they started, they all ended up in the waters of baptism. Every one of them. Some of them were pagans. Some of them were good moral folks. Some of them were God-fearing Gentiles. Some of them were hyper-religious Jews. Some of them, one of them was a businesswoman. One of them was an African politician. They, they were all over the map. They all had different backgrounds and came from different places and different understandings. Some of them knew a lot about God. Some of them knew hardly anything about God. Some of them had sinned a whole lot. And some of them hadn't sinned very much. But once they, they heard about Jesus and who he was, once they believed in him, Repented, they changed their mind about sin and salvation. Once they were willing to confess that Jesus is Lord and Christ, then they went down into the water and came up a Christian. They came up prepared to live eternally, which is what we're talking about. Now, those are the facts. Those are the two facts. The Bible teaches that. The Bible shows that. Now, you can hold to other facts. I understand that. You can find folks who hold to other facts, and you can hold to other facts. But you'll get those other facts from men and not from the Bible. Because those are the facts from the Bible. Now, now that we've got the facts, and, and if you don't believe these, if, you don't, if you're not uh, comfortable with them, go home. That's why I gave you all these scriptures. Go home and read them. Read them until you see that the Bible teaches that and the Bible shows that. But now that we've got our facts, we've got to draw a conclusion. Conclusion, number one. Being baptized is how we're saved. We know the facts. We could conclude this, that being baptized is how we're saved. I mean, you read the stories, and every one of them has baptism, and then the rejoicing, then the salvation, then all the good stuff. So we read that, and we could conclude this. I like this conclusion. I mean, it sounds good. It looks pretty solid to me if you just read those stories. You could conclude this. In, in fact, I like this conclusion so much, here's what we're going to do. 
I'm pretty sure that in this crowd there are some folks who are unsaved. Unbaptized folks. I'm just guessing, but I'm pretty sure. So what we're going to do this morning is I've already had the back doors locked. (laughs) Got guards at both fire exits. And we're just going to ask everybody that is unbaptized, that is unsaved, to just line up over here, file down this aisle, and go through this door, and we've got, we'll process you through. We'll take you up to the baptistry, we'll baptize you, and you'll come out the other side saved. Okay? Now, some of you are looking like you're not going to cooperate. Okay? I've got eight big guys picked out. We'll assist you. Okay. We'll carry you up there. We'll get you under the water. Might be some splashing going on, but we'll get you under the water. Okay. Some of you are thinking, hold it now. That doesn't sound right. You can't baptize somebody against their will. There's got to be some kind of heart and mind involvement. Somebody's got to want to do that. Well, you see what's wrong with this conclusion? If the conclusion is that the baptism itself, the act of baptism, going under the water, is how we get saved, then my plan would work. We'd just baptize everybody. But I forgot to mention, just because we draw a conclusion doesn't mean it's the right one. A conclusion can be right or wrong. We looked at the facts, and we drew one conclusion. Well, looky there. Baptism happens right before salvation. So baptism is how we're saved. That might be right, might be wrong. This one is wrong. Mark it down. Fill in your blank. First conclusion, wrong one. Baptism is not how we're saved. It's so obvious because it can't be against somebody's will. They've got to want to. So it can't be how we're saved. But let's go back. We keep remembering the facts. People believed, they repented, they confessed, they were baptized, and then it says they were saved. And then the rejoicing went on, and then it says they were in Christ, and then it says they were clothed with Christ. And we see all of that. So here's another option, another possibility. Let's try conclusion two. Conclusion two is at baptism is when we are saved. That's a valid conclusion. It works with the facts. You go back and read all the stories, read all the examples I gave you there, look through them, and think when. As you read them, you think, okay, this is when they were saved instead of how they were saved, and it all fits just fine. God promised to save us in baptism, not through baptism. There's a difference. He saves us through the blood of Christ. Nothing but the blood can wash away my sin. That's how he saves us. That's what he saves us through. He saves us through his grace by our faith in him. 
He told every sinner in the Bible to be baptized. And he promised them then they would be saved. That's what Peter's promise was. You repent and you be baptized so that your sins will be forgiven. When we trust him to do that, when we obey his command to be baptized, he is sure to keep his promise. He always keeps his promise. This one is right. This conclusion is right. Mark it down, fill it in. This is the right one. God forgives us at baptism. God unites us with Christ when we're baptized. He clothes us with Christ when we're baptized. He bestows the gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit at baptism. He puts us into the body of Christ at baptism. Read all those verses. Think when as you read them, and it'll be crystal clear. Some people ask, well, why did God choose to do that at baptism? Let me warn you, we move into hazy territory when we start asking God why he did things. When we want to know why God did something, why God came up with this plan, why God did it this way, it's really hard to come up with an answer unless he's told us. The real answer to that question, why did God, why are we saved when we're baptized? The real answer to that is because God said so. That's the only answer to that. Now, I can guess some. I I can think of things. I I can think he wanted a time that we could remember, that we could always point back to. We just sang, oh, happy day. Happy day, the day that sealed my choice. The day that Jesus washed my sins away. We can point back to that and we can remember that. You might notice we sang almost all invitation songs this morning. And I imagine as some of them were sung, your mind went back to when you were baptized after hearing that song. So maybe that's why he did it. Maybe he wanted something that we could point back to concretely and be sure of that, yes, we did obey him. But the real answer is he saves us at baptism because he says that's when he saves us. Okay, we've got the facts. We've drawn the right conclusion. I could stop there, but I know there's some questions. I know there's a lot of questions, but there's two biggies. There's two that everybody wants to know when you go out and talk about baptism with people. So I'm assuming folks that are here that are wondering about eternal life and have heard the first three and are now thinking about baptism, you may have heard about these, so you want to know. So let's cover two questions and then we'll be done. Question number one, who should be baptized? Uh, Who is baptism for? I'm aware that some people baptize infants. I'm aware that some people baptize very young children. And think that is efficacious somehow in salvation. Once again, we read the book. And we see that baptism, since it's for salvation, it's for lost sinners. Babies aren't guilty. Babies aren't born guilty. 
They don't need salvation. At some point, like we talked a few weeks ago, they'll grow old enough to understand the meaning of God's law. They'll grow old enough to understand the significance of breaking that law. They'll understand they're accountable when they break that law to God. And they'll come to the point that they realize they're in need of baptism. But infants and very young children aren't there. No need to baptize them. On top of that, to be baptized, you have to be old enough to believe in his name. We've talked about that. That's where we started first week. We get to be children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. It means trusting him completely for everything. You have to be old enough to understand what's taking place. Just look at all the things we've talked about. You have to hear. You have to understand the story. You have to believe in that and in all the promises. You have to repent of your sins. That's a changing of mind that takes a maturity. You have to confess that he is the Christ and the Lord. That takes a certain maturity to yield your life to him. You've got to be old enough to know what's going on. So that's who baptism is for. Who should be baptized? It's people that are old enough to understand all that and to respond. Now, question two, how should people be baptized? A lot of people ask that these days. Can you sprinkle somebody? Can you pour some water on them? Do you need to immerse them? People wonder about that in the world. That's not a thing to wonder about in the book. Because in the book, baptism is by definition immersion into water. Immersion under the water and coming back up. That's what the word means. Unfortunately, in 1611, it wasn't translated. It was transliterated. Because they had started sprinkling people by then. The biblical word, the Greek baptizo, baptisma, whatever form it's in, means immersion. It means to dip. It means to plunge under under the water, to submerge. If they would have translated it, that's what it would have said. Peter would have said, you need to repent and be immersed for the forgiveness of your sins. But the translators were familiar with sprinkling, so they said, well, we can't translate that word or it'll mess everything up. So they said, well, let's just transliterate it. Let's just make it sound English. So they took baptizo and called it baptize. There's a whole other word for sprinkling. Rantizo means to sprinkle. So if you've been sprinkled, you have been rantized. Uh, That's consistent. That's being fair. If you've been sprinkled, you've been rantized, not baptized. The how of baptism is once again very clear in this book. It is by immersion. Only immersion satisfies that word. Only immersion satisfies the picture. Once again, why did God pick immersion in water? Because God did. But I can guess it's a great picture of what's happening. It's all about being buried with Christ And raising to to walk a new life. Like Christ died and was buried and rose again. That's what it pictures. Only immersion pictures that. Sprinkling and pouring, they don't picture that. 
But when we say, when we believe in Him, when we repent, when we confess that He is Jesus and Lord, we say we want to be united with Him, and I want to replicate His death, burial, and resurrection, and take advantage of it, be buried into His death, and raised like He did to walk in newness of life. Immersion pictures that. Only immersion. All right. Our verse was clear when we started. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. It didn't need much explanation. But I hope that it's even clearer now than when we started. Now that it's clearer, now that we know this part of the Bible, you have to decide. You have to decide what you do about it. Now, I realize we've got all kinds of people here. I don't know where you are in all of this that we've talked about. All of this that the book says about living eternally. The book says to live eternally with God, you need to believe in Him. You need to repent. You need to confess. And you need to be baptized. That's what we've spent four weeks talking about. Now, if you've been here those four weeks, you know what the book says. And you have to decide... Do you need to act or not? Let me tell you one story in a little more detail than we covered it before. Saul of Tarsus, we talked about him a couple of weeks ago when we talked about repentance. The story is told two times, once by Luke and once by Paul himself in Acts 9 and Acts 22. Saul was a Pharisee. Saul was a very moral man. Saul trusted, remember Saul was over there on that aisle, he trusted in himself. He trusted in keeping the rules. If God had a rule, Saul kept it. And his reasoning was that if I keep all these rules, when it comes time to go to heaven, he's got to let me in. That's how I'm going to get in. He believed that the Christians were wrong. The people who said Jesus is the Lord and the Christ, he thought they were heretics. In fact, he devoted his life to stamping out those heretics. And he traveled around and he arrested them and he put them in prison and he witnessed their execution. He, he thought they were wrong. And Acts 9 tells the story of how he was on his way to persecute some more Christians. He was headed for Damascus. And a bright light came from heaven, and Jesus appeared to him. And Jesus talked to him. And Saul said, who are you? And Jesus explained it, evidently. And at the end of the explanation, Saul was blinded by the light. But he called him Lord, and he said, what do I do? He asked that question that we've heard a few times this morning. He said, what do I do now, now that I know you are Lord? And Jesus gave him a kind of strange answer. He said, go on into Damascus, and I'll tell you later. I'll send a preacher to come tell you. And Saul was so serious about it that he, he went into Damascus, and he didn't eat anything. He didn't drink anything. He prayed for three days, waiting for the preacher to come tell him. And Ananias, the, the preacher, came. And first he healed Saul of his blindness. He made him where he could see again. 
And I don't know what all else they talked about. The Bible doesn't give us the full conversation. But at the end of that conversation, here's what the preacher said. He said, now, what are you waiting for? Get up. Be baptized. And wash your sins away. Calling on his name. I've told you this morning that men have many ideas about when we're saved. Some of these would be on the list. Saul had a personal experience with Jesus. Saul spoke one-on-one with Jesus. Saul experienced a miracle in his life. He was healed. Saul repented. We know he did because when he went on that road, he didn't believe that Jesus was the Christ. And then he said, he is the Christ. I've changed my mind. He is Lord. He's ready to do whatever Jesus said. He asked him, what do I do now? So he had repented. He had confessed. He said, Lord, Lord, what do I do? He had fasted. For three days. He had prayed for three days. Some people today tell you you can pray through and get saved. If anybody ever prayed through, Saul did. He prayed for three days solid. Now, all of those things might sound like a saved man. To you, they sound like a saved man to me. But at the end of all of that, after all of that, in the condition that he was in, the preacher came in and said, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins. He still had sins. He was still guilty of sin. He had had all those experiences, all those healings, all that fasting, all that praying. He had done all those good things, but he was still guilty of sin. And the preacher said, when you get rid of sin is when you're baptized. So get up and be baptized and wash them away. That's the story of Saul. And the reason I tell you that is because I know that there are some here at the same point. There are some here who have believed in Jesus. You believe who he is. You believe he's the only answer for you. You believe that's the way to get to heaven. You've repented. You've changed your mind at some point that what I'm doing is not the way. I ought to do it another way. You're willing to confess. You know he's the Lord. You know that in your heart and you're you're willing to say so. I know there's some people in that spot. So I'm going to ask you the same question. What are you waiting for? Get up. Come down here, be baptized, wash your sins away. Let's stand and sing.